0: This is Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan.
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another week of Hockey Central here on Sportsnet 960. Today's edition of the show, it's Luke Shenwatch 2023. According to Rick Dollywall, Luke Shen is flying home to Vancouver. Sources have told him uh, the team is in Nashville for a game against the Predators tonight. And earlier this afternoon, Dollywall had tweeted that trade talks were heating up for Luke Shen and that he could sit tonight. Elliot Friedman uh, quote tweeted that and kind of confirmed via his sources that Luke Shen. Will not play for the Canucks, so we'll continue to monitor that situation. See, you know if if there's going to be a trade that is imminent this afternoon for Luke Shen, we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, Luke Shen has been floated as a potential target for the Calgary Flames in recent weeks. I mean, he's a right shot D. He could make sense. The blue line is depleted. No Oliver Shillington. Uh, no Michael stone. Now he's been put on injured reserve and Shen plays a solid style. Pretty simple. He's the NHL's hits leader with 258 through 55 games. He's won two Stanley cups. So he adds a lot of things that the flames need. He's a good leader in the room too. That could help. There's a lot of things. He checks a lot of boxes, uh, How much would the organization be willing to pay is a question mark. Uh, He's someone who brings a lot of elements and he's very cheap under a million dollars. So you could think that, you know, you'd be looking at a higher pick. I don't think Luke Shen's someone who'd go for a first, but a second, a third. Like, what is palatable for the organization? What is palatable for fans to think is acceptable for Luke Shen? Let us know in the text line 960-960. Tampa Bay is a team that's been linked to Luke Shen on some trade boards, particularly the one uh, at the Athletic and the Minnesota Wild as well. So we'll see. We'll keep an eye on this. We'll keep you posted throughout the hour. And uh, we're going to go right to the Atlas Pizza guest hotline today. Because it's time for the Tuesday Pat Chat. He's here. He's waiting. It's Pat Steinberg. Welcome to the show. I've missed you.
2: Hi, friend. It's good to have you back.
1: I know. I was off for a week. Well, I wasn't off. I was working still. I was on I was the road. I was traveling to very secret locations. Oh, you just said it.
2: Oh, I'm not supposed to say you were in Boston. <laughs> I, don't think I mean, so. how was uh, okay. Nashville?
1: How was my remote location? in the united states it yeah, was, I was fine. tahiti <laughs> i was in. i was in. i wish i wasn't in a tropical vacation somewhere but it was good i'm i, I never feel relaxed and, and i don't know why i would feel relaxed cuz i wasn't on a vacation i'll make that clear i was on a work trip for a story that i'm working on that should be coming out in the next couple of weeks but i don't like traveling and it's a very short flight um, I flew into the Toronto downtown airport last night from Boston. It's like an hour and a half, and I'm still exhausted. And I sat on a plane for 90 minutes, and I'm very tired.
2: You're uh, How are you? Like the one person, <laughs> you're, you're like the one person that doesn't enjoy traveling.
1: Yeah. Everybody else loves airplanes and airports and all of the things that, that comes with that, right?
2: Oh, yeah. Um, I'm good by the way. I'm doing all right. Yeah. I that's uh, good. I'm I'm curious I'm curious what's gonna happen with Shen. Like I know I I, I think Who thought that, we I everyone would get Shen... so
1: excited for Luke Shen watch twenty twenty three?
2: Well it's happening, isn't, like, folks. Isn't it kinda of crazy to think about how all of a sudden this guy's turned into such a hot commodity and i don't want to mm-hmm. i don't want to take shots at luke shen or anything like that but in the end he's a he's probably on a on a team that's a contender and a team that mm-hmm. is looking to win a stanley cup or go deep in the playoffs he's probably what he's probably a 6 he's he's a third pairing guy he's probably an upgrade on on your right yeah. side third pairing defenseman and so i don't think he's the only guy that is in that mix but because of the name because he's a former high first round pick because you know, in this market, because Daryl Sutter is a very vocal fan of his and, and um, basically said as such the last time the flames and Canucks played one another, he's all of a sudden become this guy who is the hot commodity out there. And it just feels like he's the guy that's going to end up getting uh, a big time overpay for whatever team ends up bringing him in. He's a pending UFA and I, I don't know, it's, just, it's, it's crazy how Shen has turned into kind of the the darling of the ball this year at the trade deadline, and, and I know that Timo Meyers' name is out there, and Patrick Kane is still out mm-hmm. there, and there's other big names that are still available, but for whatever reason, everybody's been buzzing about Shen for the last two months, it feels like. So I'm curious how it all plays out, but it is crazy that this, this number six depth defenseman is the guy that is getting so much run right now.
1: Well, I think he's had a really interesting career arc if you track it all the way back to being that high first round pick. You know, he comes in as a young player in Toronto and there's all these expectations on him and things don't really work. And he has a stint in Philly. And I mean, he's played for a lot of teams and, and he's kind of rejuvenated himself in the last couple years as this really solid depth defender. He can play the body. He keeps it simple. He can move up and down your your deep hairs if you need him to, if you want to have a stabilizing veteran next to a young Young stud, like a Quinn Hughes or whatever it may be. He's good in the locker room. Like, he's done really well to carve out this space for himself that makes teams believe that he can and should be there and should stay and he can add value. Like, I think there's something really interesting about the way that he's gone from the fifth overall pick to, hey, we've got to bring this guy in because he brings a bunch of of these qualities that we think can help make us win when it matters the most. I mean, this guy's a menace, too. I love, I really like watching Luke Shen play. Like he, he. I already said, he's the NHL's hits leader. He'll drop the gloves to defend his captain or a young player, his D partner, whatever it is. He's fun. He's physical. He plays the game in a way that it's it's easy to see why certain GMs are going, yeah, we need to bring this guy in. I will say, though, like if you're the Flames, I don't think you do more than like a third for Luke Shen, based that's, on that's where they're about at as right far now. As I'd go,
2: that's about yeah as far a third as I'd round go.
1: pick. I don't think you should be doing anything more than that to bring in Luke Shen. Maybe if the t- maybe if you're Tampa Bay, giving up a second or something is a bit more palatable, because we know that the Lightning are gonna make the playoffs and they're, you know. They're on a crash course to play against Toronto, and they'll have a good chance to beat them again. I mean, the Leafs just beefed up with with Ryan O'Reilly and and Noel Chari, and and we'll see what happens there. But if you're the Lightning, it's probably a bit more palatable to spend a bit more. But where the Flames are at right now, I I don't know if getting into a higher pick bidding war situation for Luke Shen makes a ton of sense.
2: I've been I've been thinking a lot about Calgary's situation and kind of where they're at and and what they should do and how they should go about their business. I've been thinking a lot about it after the Flyers game and and the way that game went and another night where in this case another afternoon where they had a chance to. Make some noise and and do something against um, a a, a team well below them in the standings, a team that's not going to the playoffs, an opportunity to build off a big win over the Rangers on Saturday. And and again, they find a way to lose that one. They find a way to get zero out of a possible two points. And and, and I don't know, there's, what, five games until the deadline for Calgary? We're a week and a half from the deadline. They've got five more games until then. I don't know at this point because I said, you know, 10 games or so or seven games or so. I said, okay, well, in my opinion, I don't think they should be making big splashes at the deadline. And I don't think they should be giving up high leverage picks at the deadline, at least for guys who are in their late 20s or early 30s or guys that are going to come in and and be aimed at trying to help the team right now but I had it with that caveat of they've still got time to change my mind well I have they done anything if you were in in my in my shoes and kind of feeling the same way have they done anything to change your mind in the last few weeks because it's been the same pattern it's they've had some really good games and they've had some absolute stinkers and they've been able to gain no traction and they're the same place they've been they have not moved up the standings they have not shown us that they're imminently going to move up the standings they're battling with a very mediocre Minnesota team for a playoff spot uh, and and mm-hmm. it seems like the pacific is very far out of reach i don't know even even going out and chasing that depth defenseman even with michael stone going on ir today i don't even know if that's something they should do roll with dennis gilbert he's been he's been a really nice story roll with what you've got internally i almost feel like this deadline is is shaping up more and more at least logically for me to be just a yeah, you know what? We're gonna take a pass. We're gonna take a pass on this one, and uh, we'll reconvene in the summer. We'll go with the group that we've got right now. That's very much where I'm at with five games and uh, five games to go until the deadline. Even if it's for a guy like Shen, even if it's for another right shot depth defenseman that they might go out and get, I just don't. I don't, I don't even know if that's the way they should be going right now. Any type of assets I feel like should be held on to at this point.
1: I feel like this is one of the things I wanted to talk to to you about, Pat, (laughs) today, is like, yes, there's five games left before the deadline, and we know that Brad Tree Living likes to take cues from the team, right? That's what he says all the time. I take my cues from my team. What are they telling me I should do here? Last year, they were showing him we are a team that deserves to, you know, we deserve to be like spend some money on bring us in some players, spend some draft capital, do that. And they went in the first round. We know what happened against Edmonton, but, but they showed we are a team worth spending on. Right. And, and right now this is a team that's sitting third in the wild card. We've had numerous conversations like a broken record over the season saying like, what are these flames? And I feel like we keep waiting and waiting and waiting to see the team that we all kind of thought they would be, these expectations that were placed on them externally after you know the moves that Tree Living made in the offseason to minimize the damage of, of losing Johnny Gaudreau and Matthew Kachuk. And, and we haven't started to see that. And you raise a good point of like, you know, we keep saying, well, there's a little bit of time. There's a little bit of time. I can be convinced. And we're, we're five days, five games, excuse me, away from the trade deadline. And I don't know if anyone's been convinced of anything other than they're just not good enough right now. And what is going and spending a bunch of assets going to do uh, for, for rental players, at least? Like, we know maybe there's a move they can make for a guy that has some... Team control that makes them better now and next year and a year before that fits their window of contention. But guys like that are, are team Meyer, and that's going to cost a lot. <laughs> that's maybe not something. Well, that yeah, other are, than Meyer, are going to be many able to
2: do are even out there. Yeah, I Adam just, Henrique, I, know, I believe. I think
1: Henrique has has um two years left, so he's someone who is a bit more in that that team control he's also, area, he's also if, if, if memory serves. But he's older. Yeah. 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 (laughs) So it's going to be an interesting deadline in the sense that if they do nothing, what's the conversation we have next? And, And what are the conversations we're having over the next couple weeks leading in? I think one question I have, Pat, is like, at what point do the conversations turn from, is this season salvageable, to like, when do they start to just assess where they're at? in terms of this year and next year and the next? Like when do we go from talking about can they make the playoffs to is this going to work?
2: I think it's fair to be in that mindset even right now. And I think that it's it's fair to be if, if they're asking those questions internally or we're asking them externally right now. I, I think it's fair to be having those conversations right now. I will say that I think it would be because you covered you you were here and and we we covered mm-hmm. that that bubble season the fifty six game nightmare season where they just it, it feels a lot like this season in a lot of ways and that they they uh-huh. showed flashes Jekyll but they just Hyde. could never really gain any traction and they could never really get themselves on the type of role that would propel them to where we all thought they were going to go. And that that seems very, very similar to this year. But we came out of that 2021-56 that game season and people were ripping the group and saying, it is time for Brad true to absolutely gut this core, blow it up and go in a different direction. Obviously we know he did not. And they, they did not go down that road and they come back the following year and they have a great season and end up getting to the second round against Edmonton. And, I think what I learned coming out of the 56 game season is that the circumstances that year were so unique, so silly, so stupid. You had no fans and you had look it just it was not a year that I think and I think that I in in the moment I was biting too hard and assessing too much based on mm-hmm. what we were seeing that year, but looking back I kind of feel like yeah, we probably or or I can't speak for anybody else, but I probably bit too hard on the cues and the evaluation coming out of the most unique season in NHL history. And so maybe right. the things that we saw that year weren't truly indicators or full-on definitive indicators as to what these players are or what this team is. And so I look at this year. But what's the and excuse I look at this the, year? Well, the excuse this year is that, they're coming off the most unprecedented off season in NHL history at least in the cap era. So, you know, we're 20 years into the salary cap era and we've never seen a summer like the Calgary Flames went through. We've never seen that type of upheaval with their most important pieces. It was a complete and utter replacement of of their biggest pieces and and their actual driving core. And so, because we've never seen that before and because it's been such a struggle for Jonathan Huberto. And we've seen the growing pains for Mackenzie Weiger, and and Nazem kadri has been really up and down especially recently. And then some of the players who remain. It's been a real adjustment for Elias Lindholm. And while he's their second leading scorer and you're never going to get a bad game out of Elias Lindholm, he's the impact maker he was last year because his line was completely gutted over the summertime. And and there's, there's Jacob Markstrom obviously. We know the struggles he's had and, and how well documented that's been. And so I guess what I'm saying is because 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 of how unique the offseason was, I'm not ready to sit here and say that no. It can't work. Jonathan Huberdeau is a bust, and that 10-year contract's the worst thing that's ever been signed, and Uyghurs never going to work here. They should never have signed Kadri. Markstrom will never be good again, and Lindholm, is is, he had his career year, and that was his peak. I'm not ready to say that because I think a full season after all the upheaval and all of what has gone on this year, and there have been other things. There have been the, the struggles in adjusting to certain players and coach, adjusting to players and players, adjusting to coach, so on and so forth. I just wonder if once this season is done, however it ends, playoffs, not playoffs, whenever it ends, an offseason season, some reflection and you come back fresh next year without all that upheaval and without Jonathan Huberto's head spinning and without Mackenzie Weger being in camp trying to figure out if he's going to sign in Calgary long-term, all those things. I just, and, and Nazem Kadri not coming off a Stanley Cup and, and the high of that and then going to a new team. I just wonder if all of that, you get a full season of this adjustment under your belt and then you see what you've got again next year. And I'm not saying that I I'm, I'm not sitting here guaranteeing that it's going to be great. And all of a sudden they're going to win the West next year. All I'm saying is, for me, I think it's worth it to not make any definitive decisions on what this team is ahead of the March third deadline, and and not say nope, It clearly hasn't worked. These guys are no good, and we're gonna nuke the whole thing. So that's that's kind of that's that's where I look at you know whether or not they they should be having those conversations because hells i think they should be having those conversations i just think they need to be kind of measured you know
1: for sure and i'm and i'm with you pat i'm not ready to say this is all a bust none of this is going to work like go back to the drawing board try to blow it up i'm not there yet I just think we've seen a bit of the moving of the goalposts throughout the season. It's been, oh, well, let's give them 20 games. Oh, we're not even at the halfway point. Oh, you know what? What's 82? What's the whole season? Oh, you know what? It's fine. Let's just let them adjust for the entire year. And, And I'm just a bit... The end result of all of this is we're at game 57, and the Flames are out of the playoffs. And this... Year could end up, you know, this is year one of their new lease on life, right? This is the window of contention they set themselves into. Mm -hmm. And year one of that could be a complete wash and a miss. I still think when I look at this team on paper that there's reason to believe that they could make the playoffs and, and be okay. Will they make some noise? I mean, if they make the playoffs, clearly something started to click in the right direction in the final, you know, 25 games this season, whatever's left. I can't do that math very quickly. (laughs) <laughs> On the top of my head here, if they make the playoffs, something's gone gone well here, right, and there's reason to think, okay, fine, if they can get in, maybe they'll maybe they'll be able to do something in the first round. Will they make some noise? I don't know um I just think if the end result of all of these adjustments is a is a whiff and a miss, like that's uh, I have a hard time just continuing to justify well everybody's you know everything takes time,
2: and I'm not even using it as an excuse as much as i'm just saying it might just be it might just be what we're talking about and you know what if we're 30 or 40 games into next season and we're not seeing much change in terms of the way the group is playing or or how what we're seeing from certain individuals then i think it's then i think it's fair to say yep this thing is a bust or the the summer of twenty twenty two, the summer of Brad wasn't as as good a summer as we thought it was going to be. But I just I I have trouble using a 57-game sample size, which is larger than a lot of other sample sizes, but I still yeah. don't think it's uh, it's enough knowing what happened this summer to fully convince me exactly what this team is. I've got a pretty good idea about what this team is this season, but yeah. in terms of the bigger picture and specifically when it comes to the important players, the, the, the driving players on this team, from Lindholm to Markstrom to Huberdeau to Kadri, guys like this, I, I guess I'm just not ready to definitively make a judgment that Jonathan Huberdeau is going to be a 50-point player for the rest of his career, and and Elias yeah. Lindholm, he had his one year as a true number 1 center, and now he probably isn't that, and Jacob Markstrom's going to be a sub-900 goaltender for the rest of his career. I'm just not ready to go there, and and so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm trying to look at it from more of a, a big-picture standpoint going forward. What I think Absolutely. this team is this season... I, I'm a little bit more skeptical that that changes. They've got 25 to go, yeah. and the my skepticism about all of a sudden Markstrom finding his game this season. Yeah, it's high, and that Jonathan Huberdeau just becomes a superstar in the final 25 games. Yeah, I'm not expecting that. Th- those things and and the roller coaster nature and the up and down and the infuriating nature of the group this season. I'm pretty. I'm pretty bought in on what we've seen through 57 yeah. is kind of what they are. Is what but they are what I'm right not now. Not ready to yeah. declare is that what they are this season is what they are for perpetuity. That's that's why I, I guess there's kind of a differentiation for me about this season and the bigger picture going forward. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and and I'm with you. I think, you know, I will push back on on the 56 game season portion of what we are talking about here. I mean, I think I was. I kind of took some heat that year because I be, I was a, a big like let's you know, remember how there was such a huge conversation of Matthew Kachuk's not going to be worth nine million dollars because he's terrible in this 56 game season in a bubble that isn't real is telling us that. And I think I took a lot of heat because I was constantly being like, stop saying that. That's not true. Like, this isn't real. Like, let's stop putting so much emphasis on this strange bubble Canadian division season and there was a lot of reason to believe that all of that was just going to be this strange one-off and things would be fine and they were so maybe that could happen again um but also one of those other changes was going from Jeff Ward to Daryl Sutter like uh, is there going to be a new coach bump again I don't think so like I know, there's no, been some I'm not, I'm not people asking. A the question change. is, is Daryl sure. on the hot seat? I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think we're going to see mm-hmm. Daryl leaving and, and a new coach coming in and, and changing things the way that that happened that year. But I'm with you. Like I, I think, I think separating this year from from the big picture is is probably an important thing to be doing right now. We've got to keep some perspective because if we look historically at some of these players, these are these could just be a flash in the pan or. You know, a, a strange drop in play over one season for, for some of these guys. But I do have some concerns. Like, the, this isn't 24-year-old Matthew Kachuk we're talking about mm-hmm. having one bad season. These are players who are in their 30s that we're discussing. And so that, I do have a bit that, more concern right now than I did
2: last year. That is why I don't think them going to get Adam Henrique or... Um or or, I'm trying to think of other names that are out there. Just some of the, they went and made a big Tyler Toffoli deal a year ago, and that was a guy straddling thirty that made nothing but sense based on how the season was going last year. If there were a Tyler, if there was Tyler Toffoli's twin brother who was in the exact same situation, exact same age. I would be totally against them going down that road, even if even if he has contract uh, for next season and beyond. I just don't think guys who are straddling 30, who are in the same age range of Uyghur and Kadri and Huberdo, etc., those aren't the, the guys that I think that they should be going to chase. Yes, of course, if there is a true young core player out there that they realistically could get at the trade deadline, then that's a different story. I just don't know how many... The only guy that exists there for me is Timo Meyer, And I don't know, compared to some of the other teams that have been linked to him, whether it's the Devils or the Blues or any other team that have been linked to Timo Meyer. I don't know if the Flames have the prospect capital or the assets that are going to be enough to pry him away from the San Jose Sharks. And if they did, it would be awesome. I'm just skeptical that they would do that. And I know that, you know, Travis Konechny, who was really good against the Flames last night, again, like he would be a great fit for the Flames. But, Philadelphia doesn't want to trade him and it sounds like he's a non-starter before the deadline and you could point to lots of other guys who would be good core fits but why would the teams that they're on right now be giving them up so you know at the deadline you don't usually get those type of guys and because of that it just feels like because of the age ranges you just talked about it just feels like sitting out might be the way to go this year.
1: Mm-hmm. And and just uh, to go back to the, the Luke Shen watch here for a second, the Canucks did make an official lineup update. Luke Shen will not play tonight in Nashville, and Darren Dreger just posted as well that Luke Shen is indeed on his way back to Vancouver. So that makes me wonder how imminent something might be. Like We know that this has kind of become the year of, of trade-related reasons, right? We've seen that a couple times now. Jacob Chikrin has been sitting out for well over a week now for trade-related reasons. Uh Vladislav Gavrikov is sitting out for trade-related reasons. Uh Looks like we're seeing that with Luke Shen. Um uh, But for him to be leaving the team in Nashville and flying back home makes me wonder, are we going to be getting like a, are we a one-phone call away right now with Luke Kinda Shen? kind of feels
2: like that, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. So we'll see. A couple notes in the text line. I think people like what you had to say, Pat. But, you know, people are going to – this season will be a write-off. Mike, a 40-year-old Flames fan, says, well said, Pat, but basically this is going to be a write-off year. And that's what, you know, if if people are okay with that, oh sure. (laughs) That's great. Uh, Now we have another question here. If things go downhill fast, have we ever seen a contract like Huberto's moved? Is that even possible? um that's one question i don't know if that's something that you even want to touch on there pat because it's just so
2: Oof. i don't know
1: if that's something I mean, that that's, we see a, right so it's kind of hard I to discuss if, if it's kind of yeah that's tough and and we have been seeing some stuff on twitter people I, I, lots of senators fans specifically are talking about like what could we do to get Mackenzie Uyghur? um that's a that's a tough one as well Um, And this one note is is quite interesting. I I will read it. We only have a couple more minutes left with you, Pat, and then we're going to go to break and we're going to talk to Luke Fox uh, from sportsnet.ca. But this is something that is interesting to me. And and this is a a 53-year-old Flames fan. They've lived in Calgary their entire lives. They listened to sports talk shows entire life. And he says, you rewind the clock 30 years and the message is the same. It's about the Flames under achieving and I can understand why a year like this is just so frustrating for flames fans because sure there's all these different elements and different things happening but it's another year of now we're underachieving after a year where it's good and it's kind of one year they're good one year they're not one year they're good one year they're not and they haven't the organization just hasn't been able to get into this space of consistently being there when it matters the most. And that's something that we know Daryl talks about all the time, right? He said it last year. It's not about just getting into the playoffs this year. It's about getting us to a place where we're always there. And we're always making a bit of noise like the Tampa's. And I can understand flames fans are just so frustrated because it seems like that's something that (laughs) it's not happening right now, Pat.
2: No. And, and honestly, it's, been a while it's probably been I don't know like honestly it's it's probably been 20-30 years of of that being the case and and I get it it's frustrating because you want to see your team be more than a middle-of-the-road group and that has unfortunately been the case for this team more often than not there's there's no doubt I, I feel that I feel that from a lot of flames fans who call in on flames talk post game I feel it and it's not like it's a new conversation either like people like uh, Robert and George and 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 other regular overtime callers or now flames talk post game callers we've been talking about this for the better part of a decade and and it is Something that I fully understand is frustrating with this group that, you know, they they've never been able to for any meaningful period of time become more than just a middle of the road group. That would be infuriating for a group of fans that wants to see their team. Be good. Desperately wants to see their team win a Stanley Cup and not just kind of sniff around the playoffs and kind of be in or out every single year. You don't. You don't want to be the Minnesota Wild and and that kind of is unfortunately where the Flames have been far too often over the last thirty years or so.
1: Hmm. And you've been there covering it all for the last thirty, Pat.
2: Not quite, <laughs> but close. Sometimes it feels that way. <laughs>
1: Yeah. All right. I've stolen too much of your time, and Luke Vox is probably sitting at home wondering why we haven't called yet. I'm really bad at timing,
2: but that's okay. Welcome to the club. I just wanted to talk to you. speaking to the worst person period of timing, so okay, bye.
1: (laughs) Okay, thanks, Pat. A very clean exit. Uh, that was great from Pat Steinberg. Uh, he joined us on the Atlas Pizza guest hotline. That chat is brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar using the same secret recipe since 1975. You can dine in at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. To take out our delivery also available at 403-248-3344. All right. We took way too long there, but it's always great to catch up with Pat. Some bigger picture conversations. We don't need to talk about the same things that we saw In the 4-3 loss to the Flyers that we've seen multiple times this season, I think some of those bigger picture topics are, are what's particularly interesting about this team right now. We're going to go to break and we are going to go back to the Atlas Pizza Hotline and talk to Luke Fox. He's an NHL writer at Sportsnet. That's coming up next on Hockey Central and Sports at 960 The Fan.
0: You're listening to Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your home of the flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan.
1: Welcome back to the show. Went long with Pat. I feel like that's something I say every every time we have a Pat chat on this show. Went a little bit long, so we're a little bit late getting to Luke Fox, but he's here and we appreciate it. Luke, sorry about the delay. Uh, what's up? How are you? You're in Buffalo, right?
0: I am in Buffalo. Yeah, uh, I'm doing well. Yeah, it, it should be a, a really good game. I mean, the the Maple Leafs have been playing a bunch of uh, lousy teams, I'd say, to be kind. You know, that <laughs> since they got back from their, their break, they've played the Blackhawks twice, the Blue, Blue Jackets twice. Uh, they made pretty quick work of the Montreal Canadiens at home. So, uh, it's pretty refreshing that they're here in Buffalo because the Sabres are still chasing a playoff spot. These two teams always play each other hard. And the uh, last couple of years, there's even been a little bit of animosity between these two teams. So mm-hmm. hopefully we're in for a good one tonight.
1: This is one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on today specifically because we, we have the Leafs and the Sabres game on tonight, as you just heard, just to tee that up. One of the Many games on the schedule on this Tuesday night. And I think it could be a fun one. I mean, you add in the extra little bit of layer of Ryan O'Reilly being with the Leafs now. He obviously played in Buffalo. That's kind of where he lost his love of hockey before going to St. Louis. Austin Matthews and Rasmus Dahlin, they've got some history. And I think this... This has an opportunity to be a pretty great rivalry between the Sabres and the Leafs. Like I, People keep waiting for this Battle of Ontario to get good and exciting again. Um, I'm still not sold on, on the Sens at this point in time, and I think the Sabres are kind of where the Senators wish they were at. And it could be a fun rivalry for the next couple years, depending on who... Sticks around in Toronto, but the young core in Buffalo is is very fun. I, I'm excited to watch this one tonight. Like, do you think this is a a rivalry that could could be something to watch over the next couple seasons?
0: Absolutely, um, and I think we got a taste of that at the outdoor game in Hamilton, where Rasmus mm-hmm. darlene and, and Austin Matthews mixed it up with one of one another, and, and Matthews did something very un- uncharacteristic, which was to hurt himself. A suspension, um, very out of character for him, but it just show, kind of hinted at um, you know what we could be in for as this young, young, scrappy, upcoming team with with tons of, of good talent, and now a lot of those pieces signed um, through their primes. Uh, in particular, Tage Thompson and Dylan Cousins. Uh, you know, th- this is a team to watch. They, they almost give me a little bit of vibes the way they are high flying offensively and you know allow a lot going the other way as well as the the very first incarnation of of the maple leafs with austin matthews and william and mitch marner and a a Mm -hmm. team that kind of surprised everyone when they actually qualified for their playoffs uh in their first year together um and then they lost in six games to the caps but that kind of group that was young and exciting and kind of taking the, the NHL by storm and, and even overachieving. And I think if you look by points percentage, it, the Sabres are right there in the mix and they could upset some teams and uh, be the, this could be the group that, that ends the drought, right? 11 years, longest playoff drought in the whole NHL. And I think it would be exciting for them to, to make a run and to get in and, there isn't a sense that they're going to be selling, right? Uh, I don't know how aggressive they're going to be in terms of buying, but they certainly have cap space. And the players who are here uh, should be giving Kevin Adams every reason to believe that he might be onto something. And I think it would be really cool if they got a boost um, before the March 3rd deadline and that Buffalo w- was right in the mix right to the end because I wouldn't expect them to upset. Uh, you know, if they got in as a wild card, I wouldn't expect them to upset one of the the top tier powers in the east but i think it would be a great story um that there'd be some uh acknowledgement of the momentum building in this town.
1: Mhm. They they're currently 4 points back of the Florida Panthers for that second wild card spot, uh 5 points back of the Islanders, but they've got a ton of games in hand. They've only played 54 games this year if you're looking at the Panthers and the Islanders, they've played 60. So they, they've got they've got some room here to maybe do something, do some damage uh, ahead of the trade deadline down the stretch. They're they're a fun team to watch and, and keep an eye on. I know, again, you're in Buffalo, Luke, and it sounds like Don Granato had some pretty nice words about Rasmus Dahlin today and uh, how this is a guy who should probably be winning a Norris Trophy at some point in his career. I mean, what do you think of Rasmus Dahlin's career thus far? And and just this season more specifically too.
0: Well, this season it's like he's been shot out of a cannon and um you know I, I think I think everyone needs to have a a little bit more patience, right? I think we all expect these first overall picks to come into the league and, and kind of take the world by storm and and, and you know impress us right away. But I think we have to temper those expectations um, for a, a lot of players, but in particular for defensemen. I, I think the learning curve is much steeper if you're playing the back end. And you got to realize also Darlene came into a situation where there wasn't a lot of talent around him, and the team is, is constantly cycling through coaches. And I'd say you know, Donny Granada w- was, was giving a lot of credit to Darlene this morning. But he himself has had a big role in this, right? Like he he himself has kind of empowered Darlene to to trust his natural instincts a little bit more, to open up uh, his offensive game and and allow that to flourish. He, he has the green light. Like he's he's an elite playmaker in this league now, uh, and I, I think the the confidence that these young guys have that the that there's not this feeling like our roster's going to change all the time. Our coaches could be fired any moment there seems to be um a little bit of a more solid foundation building here and i think that has translated into confidence and the you know there's a group of guys that they know they're going to be here a while and they're growing together um so i think that's probably done wonders for Darlene's game and uh you just look at that the blue line and you know, got another number one and you know power there too and it's just, like, it's exciting to see what these guys will be in two or three years when they have that much more experience. Uh, and, you know, I'd be I'd be shocked if da- Darlene stole the Norris from Eric Carlson this year, but uh, he's knocking <laughs> on the door.
1: This is one of those years where Rasmus Darlene's probably not getting as much national chatter because of what Eric Carlson's doing this season. Yeah. Um, and he plays on a team with Tage Thompson, who's just been unbelievable. But Darlene's having a great year. I, I like that you brought up Owen Power because it's Maddie Benier's Calder Trophy to lose. But I think if there's a player who could end up, you know, taking the throne of the best guy, the best player from from this cu- current crop of rookies, it's, it's probably Owen Power. He could end up being the best of, of this kind of current group this season. Um, but I wanted to get to the Ryan O'Reilly acquisition by the Leafs quickly here. We've got a couple more minutes left in the show. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly and Noel Chari to Toronto from St. Louis. It looks like he's going to get a real good look at centering the second line, Tavares kicking over to the left and Mitch Marner staying on the right. Why do you think that's the right fit for Ryan O'Reilly in this Leafs team?
0: I'm not sure it is the right fit, but I I, I could tell you okay. why – they're, they're doing it. I, ultimately, in my mind, I, I think when you're going up against Tampa Bay Lightning, you want your strength up the middle, and the idea of having Matthews, Tavares, O'Reilly, and now Achari as your four centermen, I think that would should strike fear into a, an opponent. And The Maple Leafs' bottom six has let them down in playoffs past, and I think having O'Reilly uh, center a third line that can provide some offense and can also be a, a shutdown weapon, I think is probably the best deployment. Uh, but that's not what they're starting with. And I would expect Sheldon keep to tinker over the next, you know, 25 games or so, whatever they have left. But he has decided to give this some run. I, I think part of it is you're bringing a, a new guy into the team, whirlwind, flying, you know, make the trade Friday night. He's playing in the lineup less than 24 hours later in Toronto, playing it back-to-back. I think you want to make Ryan O'Reilly feel important. I think you want to pair them with two of your leaders in Mitch Marner and John Tavares, get, get them communicating with the big dogs on your team right away, make them feel like you're one of our more valued weapons right away. Uh, and the second and, and have him play his, his most preferred positions center right away. And the, the second part of that is Tavares on the wing. And that, that to me is the more interesting thing here because it's come out in the last couple of days and talking to, to sheldon and to john that the the coach and the captain have had these conversations in past off seasons about uh, as tavares gets older um and probably slower that this has been an idea that keith has had in the evolution of john tavares that maybe if he plays the wing uh less skating is involved he doesn't have to you know be the first man back uh, on on defense, and maybe that could help him age a little bit more gracefully. And, and that's a really interesting idea. Um, but ultimately, I, I think Tavares is best at the middle. He's been game. You know, he's he's happy to try and learn this new position that he's he's only played a little bit internationally. Um, and he actually said he played it with Burn in the in the 2012 lockout. He played exclusively wing. Overseas, um, but that's a long time ago, right? He 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 is used to playing center, uh, so we're, Keith is going to give this some run and, and see how how it looks. Um, so uh, I imagine he'll he'll stick with it for a few more games, but I would be shocked if this is where he settles and there isn't more experimentation.
1: I, I kind of like Ryan O'Reilly up the middle in that second line because I I look at his options on the wing on the third line and maybe that's me just being a bit skeptical of what a third line of Pierre Engvall, Ryan O'Reilly, and Kerfoot. I don't know if I love that. I'm okay with loading up a top six and letting your bottom six, you know, having that third line checking line, but O'Reilly could be that center there too. It'll be interesting to see the way that Sheldon Keith tinkers with this, but but I actually think that this is, looks like it'll be an interesting start, and I'm excited to watch this game between the Sabres in the Leafs tonight. Luke, thank you so much for doing this. Sorry about uh, being so late.
0: No, it's all good. Um, thanks for having me on, Haley. Yeah, Enjoy the game.
1: Thank you. You too. There goes Luke Fox. He's an NHL writer at Sportsnet. Next time, we'll bring him in sooner because I feel like I had even more questions, but the hour goes by quickly. That's all the time we have today on Hockey Central here on Sports at 960 Your Home of the Flames.